Chapter 43 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 43 The Motive Perfectly free from all suspicions and as happy as he deserved to be, Mr. Sharp leaned back in his easy chair after making an excellent supper and gazed with complacency at his good wife. He was really glad to be at home again and to find his admiring household safe and to rest for a while with a quiet brain as the lord and master of everything. Christopher had been sent to bed as if he were only ten years old, for instead of exhibiting the proper joy, he had behaved in a very strange and absent manner, and his father, who delighted much in snubbing him sometimes, had requested him to seek his pillow. Kit had accepted this proposal very gladly, longing as he did to think over by himself that strange adventure of the evening. "'Now, darling Luke,' began Mrs. Sharp as soon as she made her husband quite snug and provided him with a glass of negus, "'you really must be amazed at my unparalleled patience and self-control. You ran away suddenly at the very crisis of a most interesting and momentous tale, and from that day to this I have not had one word, and how to behave to Kit has been a riddle beyond riddles. How I have seen to the dinner!' I am sure, and of sleep I have scarcely had fifty winks between my anxiety about you and misery at not knowing how the story ended. Very well, Miranda, I will tell you all the rest, together with the postscript added since I went to London. Only you must stay up very late, I fear, to get to the proper end of it. I will stay till the cocks crow, at least I mean, dear, if after your long journey you are really fit for it. If not, I will wait till tomorrow, dear. Mr. Sharp was touched by his wife's consideration for him. He loved her more than he loved anyone else in the world, except himself, and though, like many other clear-headed men, he had small faith in brains feminine, he was not quite certain that he might not get some useful idea out of them when the matter at issue was feminine. I am ready if you are, my dear, he said, for he hated to beat about the bush. Only I must know where I left off. With all I have done since, I quite forget. You left off just when you had discovered the real man who was called Jolly Fellows. The man Cousin Fermitage left his will with? Uh, to be sure. Or at least it was a codicil. Very well. I found him in the wine vaults of the company where they have been for generations. He was going round with some large and good customer, such as old Fermitage himself had been. Senhor Galofalos had a link in one hand and, in the other, a deep dock-glass, while a man in his shadow bore a flashing gimlet and a long-armed siphon-tap. From cell to cell and pipe to pipe they were going in regular order, showing brands, X this and X that, and making little taps and trying them. I was admitted without a word as one of this solemn procession, being taken for a member of the sacred trade, and the number of sips of wine I got and the importance attached to my opinion would have made you laugh, Miranda. At length I got a chance of speaking alone to Senor Galofilos, a tall, dark, gentlemanly man, of grave and dignified manner. He at once remembered that he had received a paper from Mr. Fermitage. Of its nature, however, he knew nothing, not being acquainted with our legal forms, he had kept it ever since in a box at his house, and if I could call upon him after office hours, he would show it to me with pleasure. 
Accordingly, I took a hackney coach to his house near Hampstead in the evening and found that old Portwine had not deceived me during our last interview. I held in my hand a most important codicil to the old man's will, duly executed and attested, so far at least as could be decided without inquiry. By this codicil he revoked his will thus far, that instead of leaving the residue, after payment of legacies, to his widow absolutely, he left her a life interest in that residue, after bequeathing the sum of twenty thousand pounds duty-free to his niece, Grace Oglander. Out of my money, Luke, cried Mrs. Sharp indignantly. Twenty thousand pounds out of my money, and what niece of his was she I should like to know? Was there nothing whatever for his own flesh and blood? Nothing whatever, answered Mr. Sharp calmly. But wait a bit, Miranda, wait. Well, all the residue of his estate, after the decease of his said wife, Joan, was by this codicil absolutely given to his said niece, Grace. He said that they both would know why he had made the change, and then the rest of this will was confirmed as usual. I never heard such a thing. I never heard such robbery, exclaimed Mrs. Sharp with a panting breast. I hope you will contest it all, my dear. If there is law in the land, you cannot fail to upset such a vile, vile will. You can show that the fungus got into his brain. My dear, it is my object to establish that will, or the codicil, rather, which I thus discovered. I am obliged to proceed very carefully, of course. A rash step would ruin everything. Unluckily, the executors remain as before, though he would not trust them with the codicil. Well, one of them, as you know, bought such a lot of port, half price, at his testator's sale, that in three months he required an executor for himself. The other took warning by his fate, and is going in for claret and the sour Rhenish wines. This has made him as surly as a bear, and he is a most difficult man to manage. But if any one can handle him, I can, and he has a deadly quarrel with that haughty Joan." I had first ascertained, without any stir, that the attestation is quite correct. Two stupid bottlemen, who gave no thought to what they were doing, can swear to the signing, and the codicil itself, though Portwine drew it without any lawyer, is quite clear and good. At the proper moment I produce the codicil account for my possession of it, go to Mr. Wigington and make him prove it and then I think we turn the tables on the proud old widow. Oh, Luke, what a blessed day that would be for me, the things I have endured from that odious woman. Of course it will mortify her not to have disposal, and to have to give up twenty thousand pounds. The miser, the screw, the expositor hypocrite, the filthy silk stockings I should be ashamed to own. But, darling Luke, I do not see how we ourselves are a bit the better off for it. Poor Grace, being dead, of course, her father takes the money. Suppose, for a moment, that, instead of being dead, Grace Oglander is the wedded wife, by that time, of a certain Christopher Fermitage, Sharp, and without any settlement. What? exclaimed Mrs. Sharp, jumping with astonishment. Is it possible? Is it possible? It is more than possible, it is probable, and without some very bad luck it is certain. Oh, you darling love! She very nearly shouted, giving him a hug with her plump white arms. Oh, Luke, it is the noblest thing I ever heard. 
And she is such a nice girl, too, so sweet and clever and superior, the very daughter I would have chosen out of fifty thousand. And with all that money at her back, why, we can retire and set up a green baroche. I shall have it lined with the new agate color, trimmed with deep puce, like the Marchioness of Marston's. That is, if you approve, of course, my dear, and a pair of iron greys always go the best with that. But, Luke, you will laugh at me for being in a hurry. There is plenty of time, dear, is there not? Though they do say that carriage builders are so slow, but they think so much of their old family, my dear. I know how very wonderfully managing you are, and as clever as can be consistent with the highest principle. But do tell me how you have contrived all this so well, and never even let me guess a single whisper of it. It has required some tact and skill, Mr. Sharp replied, with a twinkle in his eyes and taking a good pull at his port wine negus. And even more than that, Miranda, without a bold stroke, it could never have been done. I staked almost everything upon the die. Not quite everything, for I made all arrangements if we should have to fly. Fly, my dear? cried Mrs. Sharp, looking up with a very different face. What do you mean, Luke, to have to run away? Quite so. There is no great stroke without great miss. And if I had missed, we must all have bolted suddenly. The Lord forbid, run away in disgrace from my father's own house and the whole world that knows us. I never could have tried to go through such a trial. Yes, my dear Miranda, it might have come to that, and you would have gone through the whole of it without a single murmur. Luke, I positively tremble at you, the good woman answered as her eyes fell under his. How stern you can look when you want to scare me. Miranda, I tell you the simple truth. We must all have been in France within twelve hours if, if, well, never mind, nothing venture, nothing win. Happily we have won, I believe, though we must not be too sure as yet. We have justice on our side, but justice does not always prevail against petty facts, and public opinion would set against us with great ferocity if we failed. If we succeed, all men will praise us as soon as we begin to spend our money and exert it near home at the outset. Everything depends upon success, of course. It always does in everything. My dear, it is not fair of you to talk like that, Mrs. Sharp answered, with tears in her eyes, for, in all her kind and ungirt nature, there was no entry for cynicism. You must feel that I would hold by you always, whatever all the world might have the impudence to say, dear. Beyond a doubt you would. You could do no otherwise, but that might be of very little use. I mean that it would be the very greatest prop, and comfort, and blessing, and support in every way and would keep one's faith to some extent in human nature and divine assistance. But still, if we had to live on three pound ten a week, however, we will not anticipate the worst. You would like to know how the whole thing stands now? Mrs. Luke Sharp, although not very clever and wholly incapable of any plot herself, beyond such little stratagems as ladies do concoct for fetching down the price of rep or getting gloves at a quarter of their cost, Nevertheless, had her share of common sense, and that which generally goes therewith, respect for the opinion of good people. She knew that her husband was a very bold man, as well as a very strong-willed one. He had often done things which she had thought too daring, and yet they had always turned out well. 
but what he had now in hand was, even according to his own account, the most risky and perilous venture yet, and though, like the partner of a gambler, she warmed up to back his hand and cheer him, and let her heart go with him, in her wiser mind she had shivers and shudders and a chill shadow of the end of it. Mr. Sharp saw that his wife was timid, which of all things would be fatal now, for her aid was indispensable, otherwise perhaps he would not have been quite so ready to tell her everything. He had put things so that her dislikes and envies, as well as her likings and loves and ambitions, would compel her to work with him. If she were lukewarm, his whole scheme must fail. At the mere idea, his temper stirred. Will you hear the rest? Or is your mind upset? He asked a little roughly. His wife looked up brightly from some little blink of thought. Every word of it now. I must hear every word, if you will be so kind, my dear. I will go and see that all the doors are shut. End of chapter 43